We're in the book of Romans, if you would turn there this morning, please. Amen. I love the book of Romans. You know, every time we've taught through the book of Romans, we've seen amazing thing happens. Amazing things happen in the lives of folks who have been bound by religion, bound by jumping through hoops, um, feeling like they're never good enough. And we've seen God do some really amazing things with that. And uh, seeing people set free and understand the true meaning of Christianity, the true forgiveness um, in Jesus Christ. So I'm hoping, I'm not just hoping, I'm praying that the same thing will happen. Um, It's become one of my uh, favorite books. Of course, it's hard to pick a favorite book out of the Bible because every one of them speaks to our heart. Every one of them is a love letter from the Lord. And so it's hard to pick any one. But I love the book of Romans. Paul's writing to the Romans from Corinth. Corinth. Uh, Corinth, depending on how you want to pronounce that. And uh, he, he desires to go there, but he's been forbidden to be able to, to go. There's several things been going on in the country. Uh, at least two times there's been exportation of the Jews. They've been pretty much kicked out of, Roman, of Rome, so that could have been one of the reasons why he was unable to, uh, to go. But the desire is there and it's like okay if if I can't go to Roman what can I do well I can write to him so many times in life we think well I can't do this for the Lord or I can't do that for the Lord maybe your finances are such that you can't or maybe your family situation is where you you know you can't do some of the things you would like to do but what can you do You know, what can we do in the Lord? One of the things that I know every single one of us can do, even if we're bedridden, and that is to pray. To pray for the kingdom of God. To pray for those that are still in bondage. You'll see the title this morning, What's Wrong With Our World? And you're going, Pastor, you're going to solve that in one, in one teaching? I'm not going to solve it, but Paul's going to do an amazing job at telling us what is wrong with his world and also what is wrong with our world. So let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We know that unless you're in a work, it just falls flat. We know, Father, that all the preaching, teaching in the world is useless without the anointing of your Holy Spirit, Father, and we beg that anointing upon all of us, not just upon the message or the teaching, but upon the ears and the hearts that will hear the message. Because, Father, we know that folks come from all different walks of life and are going through so many things that sometimes it's hard to still the heart and to listen, to have that quiet time between us and you. Because the reality of it is, Father, it's not about, it's not about even the teaching. It's not about the words on the page. It's about your heart. It's about allowing ourselves to draw close to you, to, to desire that intimacy that we can have in you that we might be able to walk in that 
not just for a day, not just an afternoon, not just at a church service, but that, Father, it's all of us and all of you, maybe a lot less of us, but all of you in us all the time. So, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, anoint us to be prepared, to be ready for the things that you would have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll give you a little bit of background, if I can, on the book of Romans. Early church preacher by the name of John Chrysostom. He would, he began his ministry by reading the book of Romans, right? That's, that's what got his life and got his heart. And he would read the book of Romans in its entirety every week for 18 years. That's commitment, isn't it? You ever watched a movie and when it was done, you're going, well, that was a pretty good movie. You watch it again and you see things you never saw before. So many times with the word of God, we read it once and we go, I got it. I've been a Christian a long time and I still go through and it's still, I see things that I didn't see. I see nuances in the word of God. And, and evidently, John Chrysostom, he was one of the guys that knew he needed the word of God. And I especially want to encourage you guys that have come out of a very strict, uh, organized religion to where they've made you feel guilty about everything. If it rains, you feel guilty, right? I mean, if something is not going the way you want it to go, you automatically think it's because you've sinned somewhere, you've done something wrong, and God has turned his back on you. Not true. Not true. And we're going to see that in the book of Romans. Now, Christostom, 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 anyway, that guy, right? He was followed by a man named Augustine. And as a young man, Augustine despaired greatly because of the sin that weighed heavily upon him. I think it's really hard for us. We have to really, really, really try to pretend we're not sinners, and uh, that can weigh heavily upon us. Not knowing if we're going to go to heaven or, or not going to go to heaven. If God loves us or God doesn't love us. We, it can weigh, and we know that we're sinners by nature. So that sin is constantly beating down on us to tell us we're not good enough. That we're not going to make it. And it's easy to be burdened by that. But I'm here to tell you, in the book of Romans, if you haven't found it up until now, you're going to find God's answer to that. You're going to find that he's already paid the penalty for all of that. And it's all paid in Jesus Christ at the cross. One day with a copy of the New Testament in his hand, Augustine's hand, he sat under a tree and he wept over his own immorality. And just then, there was a group of children who walked by, and they were singing a well-known hymn, or ditty, if you will, at the time, and that song went, pick it up and read it through. Pick it up and read it through. So that's exactly what Augustine did. He picked up his Bible, opened the New Testament, and guess where it fell? It fell into the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. And here's what it said. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not reveling and drunkenness, not immorality and wantonness, 
not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now, he heard that and he was blown away by it, that God had spoken to this issue already. But here's the problem. We know we're not supposed to be doing those things. How do we find the power to not do them? If we're born into sin and we're born into a sinful world, how do we do these things? Well, he was so impressed by what he read, he went all the way back to Romans 1 and he read all the way through the book of Romans and by the end of it, he got saved. He had given his life to Jesus Christ. Now, after Augustine, there was a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther and most of, most of us have heard of Martin Luther. He's kind of a second cousin to Catholicism. And being, you guys have heard the Lutheran, Lutheran church. They kind of have a lot of the same things that the Catholic church has. But he was sitting at his desk and he was attacked by thoughts that were so ungodly that he picked up an inkwell and he threw it at what he thought was an image of the devil. He was broken. Then the concept of justification by faith. That's a huge little phrase, isn't it? Justification by grace. A way to look at justification is just as if I had never sinned. Justification, just as if I had never sinned. But it's by grace, not by works. Here's the thing, you and I could work all of our life and never be good enough to enter into heaven. God is perfect and God is holy. We are not. Something has to change that. And when he began to understand he could be justified by his faith in Jesus Christ, it changed him. His eyes were open. His life was so changed that he ushered in what we know as the Reformation. Learning about God's grace. And don't think it was easy. It wasn't easy. He met all kinds of obstacles. There were people who even wanted to take his life because he came in saying, you can be saved by the grace of God. You no longer have to jump through all of the hoops. You can be saved by God's mercy and by God's grace. Well, when you've had a church that's been established for a long, long time that says, no, you've got to do everything we tell you to do in order to make it. And then you may not make it. You may go into some holding tank for a while and then they'll decide whether you're worthy to go or whether you're not worthy to go. And he says, that's all baloney. There was another guy that I'm pretty fond of and that was Pastor Chuck Smith. He was teaching through the book of Romans in a four-square church. And as he taught through it, he began to realize that he could throw off that yoke of religion. And as he began to learn of God's grace and God's mercy, it completely changed him. And he left that church, a good-sized church, good-sized ministry. He left that church to go to a little 25-member church called Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. And I think most of us know what happened there. God just began to work and the numbers increased to tens of thousands of people. It was one, at one time the fastest growing evangelistic movie, movements in the world. And the results of that just keep on going and going and going and going. I'm here because of that ministry of Calvary Chapel. Yes, I had other influences in my life, but it was Calvary Chapel that taught me 
taught me about God's love. It taught me about God's mercy. taught me about God's grace. And taught me the importance of the word of God. And that's why we take it verse by verse, line by line, precept upon precept, all the way through. And then we get to the end, we come all the way back and we do it all again. Because I can't change your life. And let's be honest, you probably can't change your life much. But God can change your life. God can change your marriage. God can change your relationship with your family. God can heal. God can do things in our lives that nothing nor anyone can do. And then one, just one of the guys by the name of John Corson, his life was changed as he went to Costa Mesa. He was an 18-year-old college freshman and he went to Calvary Chapel and he heard Pastor Chuck teaching through, guess which book? Teaching through Romans. Romans? <laughs> Excuse me. Too much woke, I guess. I'm just saying everything with a W. Anyway, he uh, was teaching through the book of Romans. And as he sat and listened to that simple prayer, if any of you ever listened to Pastor Chuck and, and you listened to him teach, he was a simple man. And it seemed like you were sitting on the couch with your grandpa teaching you the word of God. And yet, don't mistake it for being shallow. It wasn't shallow at all. I've watched this man teach through the entire book of Ruth to a, to a Catholic church here in town. They invited him to come in. He taught through the entire book of Ruth, had his Bible open, but never needed to read it because he had that book memorized. But he taught it in such a way you would never know. When I first started uh, working and trying to be a pastor and learning how to teach and how to, how to put a teaching together, I would listen to Pastor Chuck. He recommends that to all of the young pastors. You know, put to, uh, listen to my tapes and then develop who you are and then just go for it, right? Well, I would be listening to Chuck and I would go, I'd have to stop it. You know, back then it was cassette players, right? So I'd have to stop the cassette, right? And I'm going, I know that's in the Bible so Somewhere. I just don't know where. Chuck would just quote it off the top of his head. And I'd spend 10 minutes just trying to find that scripture. I'd go another five minutes listening to him and it, you, I'm, there's another one. That's the way he would do things. A lot of times he never, he would give you chapter and verse, but not always. He would just put it into such a simple, easy to understand way that it changed so many lives. Well, John Corson, he heard that message and it changed him. And he said he found out that he didn't have to, that, love, that the Lord loved him regardless of what he had done, that the price was paid completely, not partly paid, but paid completely. That he didn't have to pray more, he didn't have to study more, and he didn't have to talk to everyone he met about Jesus because when he let Jesus cover him by the grace of God, he wanted to pray more. He wanted to attend more. He wanted to go out and share what he had learned because God had so radically changed his life. And that's what's supposed to happen to us, guys. We get saved and we can't keep our mouths shut because the glory of God begins to live in our heart. We're so excited with what God has done. Sometimes we make such petty choices these days. We choose whether or not to, to read the word over watching the football game. We choose whether to read the word of whether to get up early or go to bed late or whatever it might be. We choose to not read the word because we got something else to do. 
And, and I get that because we all fight that. But I want you to think of what Jesus gave you. I want you to think of the fact that there was nothing too good for you. He didn't spare anything. Can you imagine if he would have said, you know, John Brown, isn't he from Peoria? He's not worth dying for. I'm not going to the cross for that guy. And he probably could have said that, that about most of us. But yet he allowed us to see, for our eyes to be open, for our heart to be open, to become born again. And he took it all to the cross and he gave his life for me, for you. How, how incredible is that? Has anybody ever given you a gift like that ever in your life? We all think if we hit the lottery or somebody donated us a million dollars, that'd make us rich. No, it wouldn't. It'd probably make you miserable. You're thinking, I'd sure like to try. I'd like to find out, you know. But guys, there is no greater gift than Jesus. There's no greater gift than he, than we have this. We have his word. And it changes us. It changes our hearts. So, Lord, help me the next time I'm trying to weigh something spiritual with something that's just fun. Help me to make the right choice. I'm not saying that doing something that's fun is bad. I'm just saying that we have a tendency to be sinners. We go, we go with what's easy. We, we go with what we know. We go with what's natural. We like our comforts. And the older we get, sometimes the more comfortable we want to be. And you know, as a pastor, we hear all kinds of things. Well, I can't make it to church because it's $5 a gallon for gas. It's a legitimate thing, right? But again, how much do you pay at Starbucks for a chalky maki load or whatever those things are? (laughs) I've never had one, so I don't know what they are. But how much do you pay for those? People say, well, I, you know, I'm getting older. I don't want to drive at night. But yet, boy, you tell them, give them tickets to a game and they're headed down to the stadium. You know, it's like we, that is our nature. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm picking on all of us because that's our nature. But it's almost embarrassing when you compare it to the cross. It almost makes you feel, um, you, know, you almost want to say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've reduced the cross and I've reduced things down to, to this. Is it any wonder that sometimes we don't have the power that we need to have in Christ? I'm, 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 I'm going to get to the teaching eventually, but I had lunch with my brother the other day. He lives in town and I haven't seen him in five years. Wow. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. My brother was a drunk. He was an alcoholic and he destroyed his marriage and his family and everything he touched, he hurt. But he gave his life to Jesus Christ one night after a drunken stupor and he's become born again. And I sat at a table and we shared Jesus back and forth. Our entire conversation was about Jesus. He is now serving on the board in his church. He's an elder at his church. I couldn't be more proud of him. I want to I cry when I think about it because God, I looked at him one time and I said, can you believe what God has done out of these two stupid boys from Peoria? <laughs> Look at what he's done. 
God redeems, God, nothing else is going to change that. Not all the willpower in the world is going to change that. It's going to take the power of God to be able to break those things. At the time of this writing, I made reference to this, that the Apostle Paul, this is about 58 AD, he wanted to go to Rome, but he couldn't. He doesn't really tell us why, but like I said, there were a couple times when Jews were kicked out of, out of Rome. It could have been one of those times. But again, he didn't, he didn't give up. He did what he could. And, that's, and that's, what, that's the heart that we need to have. Demetrius, one of the old Greek literary critics, once wrote, everyone reveals his own soul in his letters. Now, this is certainly the case with the Apostle Paul. He has such a drive for wanting the people to hear the truth. In fact, he has said, I consider, I don't even consider my own life as important. I'm ready to die for the gospel. But there's so many people who need to hear it. I need to be busy about my father's business. And he did. That's the way he spent his life. He had it made, by the way, being a Pharisee. You know, he was upper echelon. People probably knew his name. Money was set and fixed. But when God came to him and changed his life, that became his mission from that time on. Okay, now you might say, well, Paul didn't, Paul, didn't, Paul didn't establish the church in Rome, neither did Peter. It was probably someone that heard them preach or someone that heard the, uh, was there at the day of Pentecost and went back and started the church. But in reality, we've got to, it could have been Paul or it could have been Peter who preached somewhere and someone got saved and went back and started the church. You do have some churches out there who believe that uh, Peter was the first pope, but there is nothing in the word of God that can verify that um, at, at all. So it's important to know and understand that sometimes when we actually go through and read the Bible, it clarifies a lot of things for us. He wanted to go, he couldn't go. Always interrupted, it seems like. Okay, so we finished the book of Acts and he was in Rome, right? He was under guard in Rome, but the writing of this Romans takes us back. It was before this took place. So look at verses one through seven. Paul, verse one, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, guys, you've heard me say many times this bondservant, it's, uh, it's important because a bondservant was a servant by choice. In other words, if he decided to stay with his master because he felt that it was good, they would put his earlobe up against a doorpost and they would punch a hole in it. And many times they would put a ring in that. So if you saw that slave or that um, man or woman, you would know that they had chosen to be uh, to work in that household because there could have been many reasons but some of the cases and some of the reasons where it was a better they had a better life in some cases they were treated very well sometimes they were treated like family there were many times that that was not the case but that's what that bond servant means not out of compulsion but out of willingness to do this. So he says, I'm a, I'm a willing servant of Jesus Christ. I've been called to be an apostle. Now, he wasn't one of the original ones, right? 
We're going to see in other places in Scripture where he says, I was called, but not by the hands of men. He was called by the Holy Spirit. He was on, his ro- on the road to Damascus, right, to continue persecuting the church, and God took him out. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He goes, who are you? It still blows me away that you can be on a mission from God and not know who God is when he speaks. That's what happened to Paul. Who are you? He said, I'm the one you're persecuting. So, he was separated to the gospel of God. Now, I would like to say this. We may not be called to be apostles. You may not be called to be a pastor. You may not be called to be a Sunday school teacher. But when you and I gave our life to Jesus Christ, and I'm talking a legitimate born-again experience, not just a casual church kind of thing. You know, Scripture says many will fall away. There'll be a a great falling away. Where's that come from? How can you fall away from something you're not close to? So where's that going to come from? He says there's many who are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? He'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. So I do believe that there's a lot of people, a lot of percentage. Let me go back. There is a percentage of people probably sitting in churches today, maybe listening on the internet, that believe that they're saved when they are not. And you might say, Pastor, who are you to judge? Thank God I'm not the one that judges that. But the scripture says there will be a judge who judges that. So may we never fall short of a complete commitment to Jesus Christ. May we never fall short of that. He says, I was separated to the gospel of God. Here's the thing. I believe that every born-again Christian is separated to the gospel of God. Why do I say that? Well, you and I, to you and I, this is the most important book we have ever seen or ever will see. If you're truly born again, you run your life by this book. You're a weirdo. And the world doesn't understand you. Because you live by this book, they do whatever they want to do, whatever feels good to them at the moment and the time, but you and I have this screen that we work with, which is the word of God that tells us whether something's right or whether something is wrong. Things to defend and things to let go. We have that and we are separated to that. Guys, if we're truly born again, that is the most important thing to us above all things. Now, I know it sounds kind of crazy because you're going to go, Pastor, you're getting a little radical, but it is radical faith. It must be a radical faith. If it's not a radical faith, we're not saved. It's pretty radical when a person raises their hand or raises their heart and says, God, I want you to come into my life. I want you to come into my heart. And I want to live for you. I want to do what you want me to do. That's about as radical as you can get because you're surrendering your own life to the will of God. That's a radical faith. He says in verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of, the, of David according to the flesh. And he declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, speaking of Jesus. 
Through him we have received, now this is important, what have we received? Through him we have received grace. Grace. Boy, if you don't understand grace, I really, really pray that you do a a word study on grace and find out what it means. And I also will tell you that you will study it your entire life and there'll still be pieces of it that you don't get. Why? Why does a why does a mother stand at the window waiting for her son or daughter to come home and they know that they've been out drinking? What makes them stay up at night waiting for them to come home? Love, mercy, grace. What causes them not to give up on someone like my brother? That's grace. That's love. And that's mercy. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith through all nations for his name. And he said, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And he says, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's beautiful introduction. First of all, he introduces himself as a slave. <laughs> now let me ask you this. Who these days would, re- would introduce themselves as a slave to Christ? It would be from the most honorable, holy, wonderful, spirit-led, inspired pastor so-and-so. It, it, it wouldn't be this humble heart But here's the thing, you get a glimpse of Jesus and you find yourself face down a lot. I remember, again, back to my brother, he said for the first month or two, all he could do was cry. And I remember that. When he got saved, all he could do was cry. And he told me the only way I could have gotten saved was by grace. If, I hadn't, if, I, if God hadn't have shown me grace, there's no way I would have ever gotten saved. I couldn't get saved. I had messed everything up. It had to be by God's grace. Called an apostle, separated, set apart. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Therefore come out from among them and be what? Separate. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Most of us have spent our life or spent our life at one time or another living right in the middle of the sin dens. Right? When you're not saved, what do you do on Friday night? What do you do on Saturday night? We know what you do Sunday because you're throwing up and trying to get ready to go back to work on Monday, right? But we spend a lot of time in those places. Paul says, come out from that. If we're truly born again, come out from that. We don't pattern our life based on what the world says is is right anymore. We pattern it on this. We don't pattern it on what the world says is acceptable. We pattern it again on the word of God. So he says, come out, be separate. He gets that from Numbers 33, but the point is this, God had changed his life so radically, he couldn't see himself doing anything else except for telling people about Jesus. Now you might say, well, I can't quit my job and just start preaching. 
Maybe not, but you can preach it work. Now, you got to be careful. I'm not saying you, you go in and you might get fired. If that's what God calls you to do, then do it. But you can do it in ways, what you, how you live your life is going to speak more than your words. So show them love. Show them kindness. Pick up the extra slack. Live like Jesus would live. Now he identified, he told us who he was writing to, right? The people in Rome. You know, it's been said that you'll never have peace with God until you understand the grace of God. Let me say that again. You will never have peace with God until you understand the grace of God. Isn't that a little bit like maturing from a teenager into a grown human being? Your parents are so stupid at certain times in their lives. They don't understand anything. All they want to do is mess up your life, keep you from enjoying life. They're just horrible. But there comes a time as you begin to mature that you begin to understand a small amount of grace. Look what my parents did for me. They changed my diaper. And if you've ever done that on the first week and that seaweed is everywhere, you, that's a big deal. And your mom or your dad or both of them, probably mom, got up every time you yelled and screamed to make sure you had a bottle, you were fed, or needed to be changed. That's grace. They could have just kicked you to the curb. (laughs) But they didn't. So as we begin to get a little older, we begin to understand a little bit of that grace. And then when we start to see the real picture of what mom and dad sacrificed for us, all of a sudden they're not so bad. They're not so bad. God had so changed the life of Paul that he understood God's grace. It wasn't about his education. It wasn't about him being a Pharisee. It wasn't the fact of him being a Jew. It wasn't any of the things that he had put all of his life into to to feel like he was somebody. It wasn't any of those things. It was just God saving his life. And Paul was so grateful for that. Look at verse eight. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is uh, for you all, southern boy, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Always praying for the saints there in Rome. Verse 10, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of us both, you and me. So he's saying, I want to come to you because I want to share what Jesus has given to me to you. I know that you'll be enriched by that and I will be enriched by your fellowship. That's what I experienced the other day with my brother. I'm so, I was so proud of him. It takes a lot to go from being the town drunk to being someone that's, that's an upright man. His wife is sometimes in a wheelchair. What does she have, Becky? She has MS. 
And I, here's, my, here's my brother who could have cared about nobody but the next drink. And he takes care of his wife. He cooks meals. He takes her wherever she needs to go. That is not my brother. That's not him. That's not who he was. But God's made a man out of him. Verse 12. Now let's go to verse 13. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I may have some fruit um, among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Paul's done his uh, trek throughout even quite a few Roman cities. And he says, you know, I would, I would, like, I would like to be with you. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Shouldn't that be our, our heart? I, I know that we're busy. I know that we've got a lot of things going on. But you know what? I pulled away from that meeting being embarrassed that it was five years that I hadn't seen my brother. I mean, I, I could give you a million excuses. I could give you a million reasons why. We're all busy, right? We all have things we got to get done. But I was embarrassed that it took five years. We used to go visit my son and his family in Chicago. We would try to do that once a year, right? And we had to fly to Chicago, and I don't like to fly, but we would do that. And then here I have, a, I have my own flesh and blood in town who loves Jesus, and it was five years. We've been called, we've been separated. Who in our family needs to hear about Jesus? Who in our neighbor on either side of the road or across the street nearest to hear needs to hear about Jesus? Have we lost sight of the reason we're saved in the first place? Sometimes we can do that we can we can lose sight look at verse 16 and 17 he says for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that is written the just shall live by faith I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ am I? Am I ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If it means as much to me as I say it does, why is it not on my tongue more often? Why is it that when I see somebody that I know doesn't know Jesus, that my heart doesn't break and I can do nothing else until I tell them about God's mercy and God's grace? That's a spiritual spanking for me. And I have to admit, I need those once in a while. I firmly believe that the gospel, yes, it's supposed to encourage us, it's supposed to build us up, but sometimes it needs to take us to the woodshed too. You have some churches built on nothing more than just making people feel good. 
They just pick out topical messages and make everybody feel good. But you know, do you, you do your best when you're raising your kids. You, you don't want them to be bummed out all the time. So you do, you try to make them feel good. But every once in a while, when they cross the line, you have to do something else, don't you? You don't go, hey, that's okay, no problem. You wrecked the car when you weren't even supposed to be driving it, but it's all good. <laughs> you, you don't do that. God loves us enough to do that. If you're a good parent, you do that once in a while. You take care of your child. You don't, believe, you, you don't let them believe that wrong is good. You just don't. The just shall live by faith. Guess what? Everybody can be saved. It's not our little group. It's not just our little religion. It's not our neighborhood Bible study. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Guys, we need to be sharing Jesus with anybody who will listen. Everyone who will believe. Paul's excited to go to Rome because he knows Romans need Jesus. Now, if he listens to all the people, to to the religious people of the time, they're going to say, Gentiles can't be saved. They're just a bunch of dogs. Don't waste your time. Don't go over there. Don't don't even tell these Gentiles that they can be saved. That's how bigoted they were. Paul says, hey, the gospel is open to everyone. And Jesus is the answer for that. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. Faith in God. You see, if I have no faith in this, I'm not saved. If I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I'm not saved. It's not my opinion, it's what's written in here. We have been saved through faith. And that's not of ourselves. Verse nine in Ephesians two, not of works. Let me read the whole thing again from verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. it is a gift of God. Not of works, not of works. In other words, you can't jump through enough hoops to change God's love for you. He just loves you. Not of works, least anyone should boast. What does that mean? Well, I serve at my church. I set out the chairs. Do you know how difficult that is? I serve in the nursery. Now, that should get a badge of honor because I serve in the nursery. Well, I tithe. I've given money to our church. I've heard people say, you know, I used to go to that church and I bet you I helped build that, that building over there. No, you didn't. God built the building. If he used you, be humble about it. But you, you, didn't, you only did what God told you to do. And if we, if we do what God tells us to do, how can we turn around and brag about it? We can't. Because it is a work of the Lord. At least anyone should boast. Grace from God. And you and I, the righteous, have to stand in that faith. 
Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, if I say that I believe in this, am I living with it as part of my life? If I say that I believe it, am I living by it? Because if I say that I believe it and I'm not living by it, something's wonky there. If I think that this chair down here will hold me and I tell everybody in the world that I love that chair because that chair will hold me and I don't go sit in the chair, it's something a little fishy with that, isn't it? All right, look at verse 18. For the wrath of God, let me check my time here. Um, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Suppresses the truth, sound familiar? Because they, what they, excuse me, because what may be known of God is manifested in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Now what does that mean? In the trees, in the ocean. How many times have we gone to the coast and set and admired the ocean and never given one thought or one thanks to God for allowing us to have that? How many times have we driven up to the pines to enjoy the cool and not said, God, thank you? How many times have you come out into that car that still runs and you turn it over and it starts and you go, God, thank you? He's saying that there's so much evidence in the sunrise, in the trees, in the oceans, in the creation. There's so much evidence that people are without an excuse. They can see God in all of the creation. That's what he's trying to say. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. Guys, if this doesn't apply to our world right now, I don't know what does. This is what's wrong with our world. You have arrogant people who refuse to submit to the will of Jesus Christ, to the will of God. And professing themselves to be wise, they are stupid. Excuse me for that term, but that's pretty much what's being said. They, They just will not submit. They become futile in their thoughts and they become, excuse me, foolish hearts are darkened. They profess themselves to be wise, but they become as fools. And they've changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man idol worship and birds and four-footed things and animals and creepy, creeping things. Guys, the, the battle that we're in right now is spiritual. It's just, it's spiritual. In fact, I'm a believer that most battles that we occur are spiritual, that we face. How can you make a right decision without Jesus? How do you have the conviction to not be bought unless you're born again? I mean, you know, we can sit here and say, oh, yeah, but, yeah, but if somebody came to you and said, if you will just change your stance on this, I will give you $5 million. Don't tell me you wouldn't think about it. 
Don't tell me you wouldn't at least consider the repercussions. Well, maybe it wouldn't make that much difference. Maybe the only thing that keeps us doing the right thing is the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. People's hearts get darkened. This is a battle between good and evil. There's absolutely no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Here's what you can do. Pray. You can't go to Rome. (laughs) I have many Christians saying, I don't know what to do. You can pray. You have no idea, or possibly you have no idea how powerful your prayer is. Pray that God will give us another chance. Pray that God will give us another revival. Pray that we will be effective in sharing our faith with people because there's a whole lot of hurting people right now. On whichever side of the bridge, don't make, the, don't make that distinction. There's people on both sides of, of this story that need Jesus. That will be the only thing that changes our lives. Okay, I'm gonna kind of go through this. Verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness because that's what they wanted in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves. In in other words, sexual perversions. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, which is God, who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature, bestiality. 27, likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, homosexuality, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of this error which was due. Interesting phraseology. Now I want to stop here for a moment before you accuse me of being a white, bigoted, hated, upper class something or another. I didn't say this. I mean, I repeated it, but I didn't write this. I didn't write this. This is God's. This is what God wrote, not me. You and I as Christians, we don't have a choice of writing our own prayers in there and writing our own, no, let me take that back, writing our own promises in there and erasing the ones we don't like. Because you see, if I feel like I need to make an excuse, if I'm ashamed of what the gospel says, then I don't believe that this is truth. It's just, it's just that simple. Does that mean you don't love somebody that's caught in that? Not at all. Not at all. Do you not love the, the drunk that that's, doesn't seem to break out of what they're doing? No, you keep on loving. Who's going to love them if someone doesn't? And that needs to come from us as Christians. But it doesn't mean you change your faith. It doesn't mean you change God's word to fit society because society is always changing. What's it going to be like in another five years, in another 10 years, if we make it that long? How is it going to change? You and I can't change. That's not what we agreed to. We didn't agree to come into Jesus and have him give us salvation so we could rewrite his book. That's not, we we don't have that. We don't have that choice. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a, um, 
sorry, I flipped this thing down and lost my place. God did not give them over. He gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Wow, what a list. What a list. And I got to go back through there and see, do any of those apply to me? But if you take that, guys, and and you look at our world today, that's what's wrong with our world today. That's the answer. Men have decided, men and women have decided to go their own way and write God out of the the whole equation. And that's what happens when you write God out of everything. Absolutely everything. Verse 32, it says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice Don't you look sometimes at, at, let's say that there's an election coming up and you look at candidates. If you're doing your job, you kind of look at what they stand for and what they don't stand for, right? And and see if it aligns with your own personal convictions. And it's really tough anymore to find a candidate that adheres to this. You'll read down and they'll go, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. What? And you're going... I can't, I can't vote for him because of this one thing. Because it's completely opposite of what God says. I, I, can't, I can't do it. And that makes it harder and harder for us to find someone that we can agree with. And guys, I want to tell you this. It's not about being a Democrat or being a Republican. That's not it. That's not it. It's not a a thing of thinking that Joe Biden is Satan himself and that Trump is the savior of the world. He's not. These are just men. It's a spiritual issue. And we need to bring it back down to what it is. Not divide over things that it's not. But to try to treat each other with love and respect and not get caught up in all of this other stuff. So, pretty good description of the world that we live in. I like the part there. I'm going to start, I'm going to give you chapter 2, verse 1, only the first verse. And it starts like this Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. In other words, God's got a solution to this. God can save you from all of this, and it's your choice. So pray with me, please. Father, we look back at the great hall of Christian faith that have gone before us. We see men and women who were so dedicated that they gave up their life rather than deny you. We see people strong in their faith and secretively we want to be like them 
And sometimes when we sit down, we count the cost, it seems more than, than we, can, we can do. Lord, I think that's true for all of us. Lord, I believe that it all stems from intimacy with you. People might ask, well, how, what do you mean, Pastor? How do you develop intimacy? You develop intimacy by spending time with someone. Father, may you give us the ability to spend time with you. Everything will come from that. If we would just sit with you, be with you, read your word and let you speak to us. And Lord, I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's many in here that would not want more intimacy with you. So Father, put it in our hearts because we don't have the, the willpower. We don't have the strength. May you grant that to us.